Matthew chapter 16. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, When evening comes, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today, it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret this appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except for the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. When they, had, when they went across the lake, the disciples f- forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, It is because we didn't bring bread, bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves of, for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 4, and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that, it was, that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are, you, son, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you, and I tell you, tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is, is, is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. 
I'm going to start with a quote from C.S. Lewis from his book, Mere Christianity. Uh, This is what uh, he says uh, to people trying to work out Jesus. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. They say this, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic, on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronising nonsense about him being a great human teacher. That is not left open to us. He did not intend to. Uh, That's Lewis's famous argument, uh, trying to point out that Jesus can't uh, be a great moral teacher. It doesn't make claim, it doesn't make sense uh, when you read the account of his life, that the claims that he makes are too too big for that. Uh, He says he's either a liar, a lunatic or Lord and you have to decide which it is. And that's a really good starting point for tonight's passage because here we see the disciples finally grasping the truth about who Jesus is. Even once they've got that, they haven't really worked it all out. Uh, So, uh, tonight we're going to set through three errors, three mistakes that people make uh, in thinking about Jesus. I'm going to use the the technical, uh, theological names for these heresies. Uh, There's the just a guy heresy, uh, the power Jesus heresy, and the crazy Christian heresy. Uh, Three errors. Uh, three heresies that you see in this passage. Firstly, uh, the just a guy heresy. Uh, the first error here in this passage is to miss Jesus entirely. Uh, that's what the Pharisees are doing. Uh, they come demanding a sign from heaven. Uh, they want some dramatic proof. But first one, we can tell that they're here to test Jesus. They don't actually want to find out the truth about him, they want to trap him. It's the just-a-guy heresy. And uh, so Jesus tells this proverb, almost, like a mini-parable. He says, be a scientist, be a scientist here. Uh, You know how to do that, Uh, make an observation and then draw a conclusion. And you know how to do that with the sky, you know, uh, red sky at night, sailor's delight, as the saying goes. Uh, it's, that, that's a sign in the heavens. Why not work it out? Be a scientist. Make an observation. Draw a conclusion about me. Uh, all the things that I've done, the healings, the feedings, everything. Why can't you work that out? See, they're stuck thinking that Jesus is just an ordinary guy. And so uh, there must be some trickery. And so they want to trap him. But Jesus doesn't do party tricks for people out to get him. And so they get nothing. 
But even there, the disciples are really slow uh, to pick that up. They're really slow to get past this just-a-guy thinking. Uh, You see this incident in the boat uh, where they don't have any bread. And I don't know know if it's meant to be funny uh, as you read it. It has this kind of slapstick feel to it. It's like, oh, we didn't bring any bread. Did you bring bread? No. What's he talking about yeast for? I have no idea. Oh, maybe he's talking about bread. It's just... They, they kind of don't get it with what is going on. Uh, they haven't read the signs either. And uh, through this passage, you kind of see, you know, if you had a, a cross-section of Peter's brain, it's like there's a hamster in there, uh, treading very slowly, kind of turning the, the, the wheel around, trying to work it out. The, the Pharisees are saying that Jesus is just a guy. But we saw him miraculously feed thousands, just like bread from heaven. And, and, and now we need to watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. Maybe he's not talking about yeast. Maybe he's talking, what about their teaching? Maybe we're meant to watch out for the teaching of the Pharisees. Maybe Jesus is more than just a guy. And they get there in the end. Uh, but I think that, that heresy, the just a guy heresy, is the one that we swim in in our culture. Our world doesn't start from the point of view of thinking that Jesus is anything more than a guy, uh, anything more than just a great moral teacher. I think we live in the just a guy heresy. And that's why it's so important to show people Jesus, to show people Jesus as he is in the Gospels. Uh, Jesus thinks that the signs that he's already done uh, should be enough to work out who he is, to to see who he is, not just an ordinary man. So if you have friends, family, uh, people who think that Jesus is just another guy, uh, then why not invite them to read one of the Gospels with you? Uh, Let them see Jesus for who he is, the things that he does, to read about uh, what he does, what he says, and to see his true identity. Because that's what Jesus asks next uh, of his disciples. Verse 13, he asks the question, who do people say the Son of Man is? And again, the the just a guy heresy is there uh, because all these options fall short of the truth. A prophet came speaking God's words, but really they they were nothing more than a messenger. But Peter, Peter's been with Jesus the whole way. He's seen everything that Jesus has done. And so Peter answers... You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And he's got it. Jesus is more than just a messenger. He's the main event. Here is God come uh, to install his kingdom. The king of God's kingdom has arrived. But Peter hasn't uh, worked this out on his own. Have a look at Jesus' reply in verse 17. He says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but, my, but by my Father in heaven. That's why it's not just enough to say, oh, go read the Gospels. You'll, you'll see Jesus there and that'll be enough. Uh, no, there's something much deeper going on. It takes the work of God to reveal the truth about Jesus to people. But God is doing that work. God is doing that. He will build a church. He will build a people that belong to Jesus, who recognise him as God's saving king. 
And amazingly, it's going to start right here with Peter. Verse 18, uh, Jesus says to Peter, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. There's a little play on words here. Uh, the name Peter means rock and so he's like, Peter, you're going to be the rock. Uh, he's the first to recognise who Jesus is and so it's on, it's on him. He's the one that Jesus is going to start with. Uh, to build this uh, people who belong to him. Uh, the mistake to make with uh, this little verse is to think that it's all about Peter and his role in the church uh, and you know, to spring from this into a, a grand theology of uh, papal succession and all the rest. Uh, but the passage is all about what Jesus will do. Did you see that? He will build his church. He will build his church. Sure, he'll use this rock, he'll, Peter, right here, but Jesus is going to build his church. And even death won't destroy it. People will kill Jesus, they will kill the disciples, but nothing will destroy this unstoppable force, the church of Jesus growing. And he, Jesus, will give Peter the authority to lead the church. Uh, that's the picture there of uh, the keys being given to Peter. And again, I think we have uh, the wrong idea of this in our heads. Uh, we imagine fluffy white clouds and uh, Peter is there and there's the pearly gates and he's got the keys and he's kind of letting people in and out and that's uh, what's going on. Um, but the picture is more like a, a store master, someone who's in charge of the house uh, and his job is to open up all the storerooms and, and get out the provisions needed for the house. And it's talking about Peter's role in serving the church in church teaching and discipline. And that's what fits with the next bit about uh, binding and loosing on earth and in heaven. Uh, again, it's kind of hard to work out what Jesus means with all this kind of binding and loosing, but if you've got a Bible, flick over to Matthew 18, verse 18, worth doing, only a page or two. And we see there, you pick up the same Verse, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And there it's talking not just to Peter but to all the disciples. And the context is church discipline. It's about a brother or sister caught in sin. And uh, Jesus is saying, uh, giving this authority to all the disciples, they will have this special role of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus leading the church and having authority to do that. But it is Christ's work. He will build his church. Uh, so Peter has got past the just a guy heresy. He's worked out who Jesus is, the, the king of God's kingdom, and Jesus is going to build this gathering around him. But he hasn't worked out everything yet. And Jesus knows that he hasn't, and so uh, look at what he does next in verse 21, back in chapter 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. See, they've got that Jesus is the Messiah, but they have so much to learn about what that means. Uh, Jesus' mission is to become the 
unrivaled uh, Lord of the universe. Uh, But first, he must suffer, be rejected, and be killed. He's king through the cross. And Peter, at this point, is just, his brain is freaking out. He has no idea how this works. You get this incredible interaction where Peter physically uh, uh, takes Jesus aside and he says, Jesus, you know, stop this nonsense. You're embarrassing yourself. What is going on? So he expects Jesus to be a power Messiah. He walks straight into the power Messiah heresy, the power Jesus heresy. He thinks that he'll, he's going to come and defeat the Romans and install them as, as rulers, princes under him, and he's looking for success. Uh, he wants a king through conquering. Uh, but that's not what Jesus is. He's a king through the cross. And that idea that he's a suffering Messiah is just, it's an oxymoron to Peter. Uh, you know what an oxymoron is? It's, it's two words placed side by side that are self-contradictory, like rap music. <laughs> oh. so, sorry to uh, rap, rap music burn there. Uh, but for, for Peter, suffering Messiah, they, they can't go next to each other, they can't... Dying Messiah is a complete oxymoron. And so he has to take Jesus aside and say, Jesus, I'm just going to stop you right there. That's not going to work. And then again, uh, Matthew doesn't just tell us Jesus' reply, but you get this stage direction. It says Jesus turned. Now, I'd love to know what kind of turn it was. Was it kind of... (laughs) uh, Like a slow, focused turn? Was it... Was it a snap? How did, it doesn't say, but he turns to face Peter head on. He's, he says, that attitude, that attitude is from Satan himself. That idea that Jesus might snatch worldly power without going through the cross. And Jesus won't have it. He won't be pulled aside from that path. See, it's the power Jesus heresy. Peter has human things in mind. He's thinking success, not suffering. He's thinking riches, not rejection. But if you think that it's just uh, Peter who struggles with the kind of the power Jesus heresy, then I think uh, we're wrong. Uh, We've got it too. Every time you hear about a ministry making an impact on society, changing the world, uh, but without mentioning the cross. You've got the power Jesus heresy right there. Every time you you hear someone, uh, a Christian, talking about uh, living a life of blessing, but without mentioning the cross, because at the cross it, it, it draws attention to our sin, our need, just kind of leaving that out and just talking about the victory of the Christian life, well, that's that's the power Jesus' heresy as well. I think our modern world might have it worse than Peter. Uh, We have in mind successful churches and celebrity pastors and, and lives of impact. We want worldly glory. 
But Jesus won't have it. He's king through the cross. He's not a power messiah like the one Peter expects. He's a suffering saviour. And that just has huge implications for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Can you see that? That's what Jesus explains next. Uh, He needs to warn them about our third heresy, the crazy Christian heresy. Have a look at verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. It's a shocking statement really to, to take up your cross. You have to remember, this is a form of execution. It's like saying, uh, walk down death row. Uh, Everything is on the table for Jesus. Everything up to and including dying for him. Everything for him. And deny yourself doesn't just mean uh, make sure you get out of bed early on a Sunday morning and go to church. You guys don't even do that. Uh, (laughs) But it doesn't even mean that. That's not even enough. The phrase, uh, deny yourself, is used elsewhere in the Bible to talk about uh, God. If God were to be unfaithful, he would deny himself. He would contradict his very being, cease being himself. And so to deny yourself means to deny your own desires, dreams, your expectations for life. And can you see how that is so opposed to our culture? Our culture's uh, word is to be true to yourself. If you feel it, then you need to live it out. Go and do it. But Jesus is saying the opposite. Deny yourself. It's crazy. Uh, He's saying, come and die. Don't live for yourself. Live for me. C.S. Lewis was right. Who Who makes these claims? What kind of crazy person? Unless he is God. But see, uh, there's nothing cruisy about following Jesus here. There's no half measures. But it makes sense. Jesus says to claim our own life is to lose it, is to face God's judgment. Uh, Verse 25, whoever wants to save their life, that is take it for themselves, will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. So to see your life as your own is actually the foolish option. Don't do it. To claim it for yourself is to stand opposed to the God who made you. When we put ourselves in charge instead of God's King. And so instead, he offers an alternative to receive Jesus' rescue through the cross and to give our lives over to him And Jesus invites us to to do the sums on that. Can you see his logic there in verse 26? He says, uh, this time, be an accountant. Be an accountant. Draw up a profit and loss table. Draw up a ledger. On one side, put everything. Everything you could possibly hope to own or achieve in this life. Uh, Put family, career, travel, experiences, everything. And then on the other side, put your life. How could you use the stuff on one side 
to buy your life. It's worthless. And Jesus says it makes sense. It makes sense to let go of all of that for him and for the gospel, to cling to him. Jim Elliot was a missionary who took the gospel to the people of Ecuador in the 1950s and he was uh, someone who grasped that truth. He's famous uh, for this quote. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So he did the sums. Sure, I, I might lose everything for Jesus, but that is really how to save my life. Uh, he's famous for that quote because after only four years, uh, he was killed by the people he was trying to share the gospel with in Ecuador. Uh, he understood that following Jesus means everything. There's no cruisy Christian heresy there. But I think we live in a world that is kind of saturated by that, that heresy, the cruisy Christian heresy. And if, if you've kind of got that idea, then it may well not be your fault. I think our Christian culture has to share a lot of the blame. Uh, I think in trying to make the Christian life attractive, we've spent a lot of energy trying to prove that Christian life is easy, that's really convenient and it will fit in with your lifestyle, uh, you get the movie-going experience, uh, listening to world-class speakers, maybe not tonight, but just in general. Uh, you get to come to church, uh, friends, fellowship, uh, serve in fulfilling ways, and we give the wrong impression. That actually, it's not too inconvenient to be a Christian. It can fit with your lifestyle. In fact, it might make it a bit better. And of course, that's, if that's our culture, actually, we lean into it. We love that. We love that idea. We want a, li- a winning life as much as Peter. But Jesus claims everything. All of it. All of life. And C.S. Lewis was right. Who does that? Who says, come and die for me? except a crazy person or someone for whom it is true that that is the right thing to do, the Lord of everything. Tonight we've seen uh, three errors. The just-a-guy heresy, the power-Jesus heresy, and the crazy Christian heresy. So I want to ask, what's the antidote to those heresies? How do we uh, make sure we don't fall into the trap of that way of thinking? Well, uh, the answer is the cross. The answer is the cross. Because if we understand what is happening at the cross, uh, then you won't fall into the trap of thinking that Jesus is just a guy because it's at the cross uh, that Jesus, uh, as Lord of all, gives his life to save all. We'll know him to be God himself saving us if we understand the cross. And if you get the cross, you won't ever uh, think that uh, Jesus is on about worldly success. You'll know that he's king through the cross. 
a humble saviour. And if we focus on the cross, we'll get our discipleship right as well. We'll get our discipleship right. Because we'll know that we follow a crucified king and we'll know that the same thing is true for us, that we follow the same path. And that's actually where Matthew heads next. Uh, This passage is the turning point in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Have a look at verse 21. Chapter 16, uh, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. From this point on, the whole Gospel of Matthew changes. From this point on, it focuses in on the cross. All the focus shifts there as Jesus heads to Jerusalem. And so from now on, as we continue our series in Matthew, we're going to be focused in on the cross as well. All that means for Jesus and all that means for us as his disciples. Season two of Matthew starts next week. I hope you can join us.